eye view, big picture, but I've been wanting now to go and get on the ground to get a little more specific focus from one of those Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, being that that was the first one written, where I just take a few verses and really dig deep into it. And so the one I'm going to look at today, you can go ahead and turn to that. It'll be the sixth verse and just one additional I'll be reading, is in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. And the context of this is this is a dialogical narrative. Uh, what that means is this narrative is all about a dialogue. There's this conversation going back and forth between Jesus and all the religious establishment. And why is this important to Mark's gospel? Here's a great commentary uh, by David Rhodes where he writes, Conflict analysis names the overall goal in the narrative and then identifies the forces that help or hinder that goal. The driving goal in Mark's narrative is for God to establish rulership over the world. These conflicts, what's going on between the scribes and the teachers of the law, serve to reveal the true character of those who oppose the rule of God, those who are faithful to it, and those who fail in their efforts to follow. Also, the opposition and misunderstanding involved in the conflicts provide an opportunity for the protagonist to explain to other churches, because that's what the Gospel of Mark was written for, is to the churches and the audience, the nature and values of God. So this is an interesting narrative, and uh, he goes on to, to talk about a few other things, which I'll read in a second, but it's, it's a small narrative we're looking at today, but it's part of that larger narrative where Jesus is in their stomping ground, in the temple, being confronted one after another, and what's interesting is he wins every argument, sometimes by not arguing at all, sometimes by just giving a question for a question, or is quoting a scripture and they remain silent. But the text we're looking at today he actually answers the question. In fact, the only one he answers in that dialogue directly. And it's the only time in all the Gospels where the scribe and Jesus actually agree on something. So that would be very interesting to see. But let's add a little more context. Here's a, as well from David Rhodes. The high priests, legal experts, and elders try to trick him into a, for them, blasphemous claim that he is acting on God's authority. When their ploy fails, they send Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in his words. Then come the Sadducees. Nevertheless, Jesus prevails in debate with the authorities, humiliates them before the crowds, exposes their hypocrisy. In these debates, Jesus cites scriptural authority for his actions, tells riddles against them, quotes scripture to condemn them, outdoes them with his knowledge and interpretation of the law, and verbally attacks the scribes who exploit widows, prophets, and judgment on them. So we see Jesus is not afraid to confront false teaching and religion establishment when it interferes with having the heart of God. And re whether we realize it or not, we can be quick to judge the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. But guys, even in our own faith tradition, we have issues, if we're honest, both stated and unstated, Right? And whether we know it or not, when we hold so rigidly to even our own faith tradition, we actually limit the full expression of God's love. And that's what Jesus is attacking here. Now, the narrative begins with a very important question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? In the other gospel account, it asks which is the greatest. But I like this question better. Because greatest just simply compares commands. Important prioritizes a command. See, guys, the reality is we all have commands and we may obey them, but even if we obey all the other commands but neglect the most important, wouldn't you say we're in trouble? Yeah. 
So we need to have the answer to that question. But I know for some of us, we like to have visual stimuli. And so I've got a little video clip. It's actually word-for-word Bible, and it has actual Jewish-looking Jesus. Okay? And so we're going to show these six verses in this video clip, and then I'll come back. So let's show it. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Doesn't he look like Jesus? Brown, dark hair, darker skin, not blonde, blue-eyed. That, that, was, that was a Jew, by the way. And if you do like the Bible visually, iTunes actually has all four of the Gospels, word-for-word Bible, done by the same company and same actors. And you can get those on iTunes. I just love seeing the Bible in front of me sometimes. But what an incredible, interesting closure to this dialogical interpretive where this question, which is the most important command? And whether you notice it or not, but we'll get into it, Jesus responds by giving two answers. So that right there is an issue, but maybe God's arithmetic is different than ours. So we'll figure that out in a minute. We've got to figure out, well, what, why does he give us two? He asks, which is the most important? One, right? But G- Jesus gave two answers. The second thing that's interesting is the two answers he actually is quoting the law. And yet, when I say the word the law, as in like the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, is love the first thing that comes to your mind? Probably not. And yet, both commands that he quotes are about loving God and loving others. The first command is quoting from Deuteronomy, the second from Leviticus. So what is he saying by this? Well, what I think he's telling us is so often our relationship with God can become more religion, where it's about do's and don'ts rather than being. Really being a disciple of Jesus is more about being than doing or not doing. It's about loving God. It's about loving others. So we're going to dive into these six verses and see what we can learn today. Let's start off in the first one, verse 28. One of the teachers of law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, for us, that may seem like an interesting question, but for them, this was a very normal question. This this was the dialogue of the day amongst Jews. Like, we talk about World Cup, right? Well, it's going on, and I'm still a little disappointed Mexico and Russia got knocked out, okay? But... 
Anyways, but I'll be in Russia during the final, so maybe I'll sneak on over to Moscow and see the championship, but we'll see. But nonetheless, I'm going to have to comfort a bunch of Russians because, man, it was, oh, it was rough. Let me recover for a minute here. Okay. But see, for, for the Jews, this was a common conversation, and here's why. If you actually do some historical evidence, if you could actually sum up all the commandments that the Jews practiced, here's what it is, 613. Of those 613, 248 are positive commands. In other words, do. The larger portion, 365, are negative. Prohibitions or don't do. Very common, right? We tend to focus more on the don'ts than the do's as well, right? So when he's saying to Jesus, he's actually going, Jesus, of the 613 commands, which is the most important? And Jesus didn't hesitate. If I were to ask you, which are the most important, would you be quick to answer the way Jesus did? Because whether we believe it or not, guys, we have a lot of stated and unstated commands in our own faith. We do. Some are good and some are maybe not. And God is exposing all that because he's helping us to get back to what's the most important command. And why is this important to me today? Well, one of the things I had to do during my spiritual formation class that I just finished is we had to come up with a rule of life. It's kind of like a mission statement that companies have. And now that I'm 50, I'm on the upward slope. Heading toward heaven, downward slope physically, okay? Upward slope, I I like that better. Okay, I'm on the upward slope to heaven. And when I look back at the first 50 years, a lot of my faith really was more about what I did for God, doing. I can't do what I did anymore at 50, okay? So I really have to think about, well, my real life needs to be more about what am I becoming the second half of my life if I get to live a full other half. And so that was very challenging for me. And, And what it came down to was this command. Wouldn't that be the best thing for my rule of life, just simply to love God and love others? Isn't that what I'd love to see written on my tombstone? Here's a man who loved God and loved others. That, that's what I want to be known for. But the reality is that's not my natural inclination. My natural inclination is selfish, prideful. That, that's my natural inclination. So this is not going to be easy, guys. But it needs to be who I am in Jesus. Which is the most important? And he answers, Love God and love others. Hmm. Let's see how he answers verse 29. The most important one, singular in the Greek. Okay, so he's answered the question. The most important one, that's what Jesus said. But then his arithmetic gets interesting. Is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. And I'm going to not read part of this for a reason. And then I'll come back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. Why did I skip, and with all your mind? Because he's actually quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, which only has heart, soul, and strength. But Jesus adds, with all your mind. And that, that, that made me interesting. It's like he's quoting the law, but he's added something. And I was like, why did he add this? Why is that important to Jesus' definition of the most important command of loving God with all your being. Because the reality is a lot of the others are more connected to your experience or feelings, not your intellect. What he's telling you is, guys, sometimes to love God and love others, you're not going to feel like it. You're going to have to use reason and logic and a decision, despite your feelings, to love God. Think about quiet times. 
You ever had a time where you're reading your Bible and it just feels like every day it's just, ugh, it's just not an experience? That's where you got to love God with all your mind. That's where you go, okay, I don't feel it. I'm not having that soul time with God. I'm not having, you know, that, that, that heart time with God. But you know what? I'm going to love God with my mind, so I'm going to read again tomorrow. I'm going to read again the next day. Or have you ever had a situation with someone who's hurt you? You're going to have to use your mind to get through that one. Okay, I know what I'm seeing right now, but my mind tells me that's not all they are to me. I have a long history of good relationships, so why am I judging it all off one negative a moment? Which we do. One negative moment, and suddenly all the good moments you had are gone. That's not loving God and loving your neighbor with all your being. So I think he adds the mind to understand sometimes you're not going to feel like it. But he does include all four. It makes me ask myself, which one of the four is mine? Easiest. Which one's my weakest? And are you even focusing on it? See, the reality is some of us do love God with our soul. We're just, those are the kind of people that it's just, man, there's like social butterflies, man. They just, they connect with God, with people, like they just buzz in fellowship. That's, that's someone who loves with their soul because soul only really shines in connection to other souls, God's and, and others. There's those of us who really are more heart. That's where maybe worship is more where you connect with God. It's an experience. There's feelings involved. Others of us may be more with the mind. I have, I, I have to read the Bible. That's where I connect with God, right? But some of us are strength that we actually experience God most during trials, where we actually persevere. That's when we feel God's presence. So I don't know which one is yours. Keep that. That's your, con- your, your first connection to God, but we need all, th- all four. And how do you grow in those areas? These are the questions I have to figure out for myself if I want this to be the rule of my life. But then he doesn't end. He continues. The second is this. Wait a minute. He said, the most important command is, and then he adds the second. What? The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute, Jesus. The the math doesn't add up here. And maybe that's the whole point. That the way Jesus defines love, God defines love, we can't use our human arithmetic to understand. There's something about we have to have both. And he concludes that if you look at the next statement, it helps us to accept, even though the arithmetic doesn't add up in our mind, it's exactly what God intended to say. There is no commandment, singular in the Greek, greater than these, plural. He just said the most important singular command is both. And if we really think about it, that makes sense. The reality is, we can't really love others the way we need to if we don't love God. But it's also impossible for people to really see our love for God if they don't see our love for others. It's the the vertical and the horizontal, that symbolic cross all over again. And if you actually look at the law, the original law for the Jews was actually just Ten Commandments. It's amazing how people add to that. And God added a few commandments, but mostly they had to do with the tabernacle and the temple and all that. But in terms of the actual commandments for God's people, it was the 10. And then, you know, how humans are, we add more, up to 613. Our movement started with very simple commands. It's amazing how many we've added since then. Stated and unstated. Right? But if you take the original 10 commandments, 
The first five are all about loving God. And the next five, all about loving others. God hasn't changed. His people still require the same commandment. Love God and love others. That's simple. That's amazing. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, I, I understand I got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's not going to be easy. But this love your neighbor as yourself, and, and I could do a whole other lesson on the condition of loving your neighbor as yourself, because I think in today's society, that doesn't mean the same as it did then. There was a much greater value of self back then, much greater value of humanity back then. Today, we've lost love for self. That's different than selfish love. That's sin. But love of self is absolutely required to love others. And so that's a whole other lesson. So I'm not going to talk about that here. But to love our neighbor is important. What does that actually mean? Well, if you actually go back to the, the, the law he quotes in Leviticus, that's in chapter 19, verse 9 through 18, he lists four things after saying love your neighbor. Number one, consider the poor. If you add that slide there. Consider the poor. Yeah, just shift on ahead. You have to love the poor. Do, do you realize, guys, if we don't actually consider the poor, we're not obeying this commandment? Yeah, it got a little silent, didn't it? You can say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor if you don't actually consider the poor, according to the scripture Jesus himself quoted. That's why I love the Thomas family. So cool to see Jared up here. I remember Jared before he was a disciple. See how much he's grown. But one of the things I've always loved about the Thomas family is they consider the poor. It's honestly what converted their sons, working in youth corps and other places. And in our Saturday Academy, it's like, guys, we don't realize that when we don't consider the poor, we limit ourselves loving others. Because putting ourselves in other people's feet is what helps us to love. That's why I love going to Russia, being in that experience. I need to see that. Second, don't steal or defraud. Now you may think, okay, Derek, I, I got that one covered. Really? I know you may not be actively breaking into your brother's or sister's home to take something, but have you ever borrowed something and never returned it? And because of just them being gracious and not asking for it back, are you loving your neighbor? If you break it, do you replace it or do you just leave it defrauded? We can abuse the grace in this church and not love our neighbor. Pay wages appropriately. You ask some campus students to babysit, do you pay them appropriately? Just saying. They got a lot of things to pay for. Camp, ICMC, MIT. Do we pay appropriately? This is about loving your neighbor. Are you a manager? Are you paying your people appropriately? You can't tell me you love your neighbor if you don't, according to this. Now, that doesn't mean go judge your boss that he's not loving the neighbor because you're not being paid appropriately, okay? <laughs> God will work on them. But I'm just saying for us, are we loving our neighbor? And then maybe you're not, and we'll be praying for you. Do not take advantage of. I think we commit this sin against each other all the time. We manipulate emotions timing, context, and take advantage of. Here's one where I think we take advantage of a lot and we don't even think twice about it. Have you ever left trash and just figured someone else will pick it up? Isn't that taking advantage? And this is our place. 
I'm just saying, guys, you think you're loving your neighbor. According to Leviticus, man, we got a lot more practicals to employ. This is challenging stuff, and it's the most important. It would be better for you to do those things than all the other commands that we supposedly obey. Wow. Then he goes on. How does the scribe respond to this answer? Well said, teacher, the man replied. Now pay attention. Jesus said what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to the actual person's reply, even though he agrees with them. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, which was not even one of the Greek words mentioned in the four of Jesus, and with all your strength. He completely left out soul and mind and added a third one that doesn't even exist in the four, which the Greek word for understanding means your intellect. Rather than using the soul and mind that's impacted by God, I'm going off my own understanding. Interesting. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. What does this tell me? It tells me that by default, we go to our religious tradition. Even though we just got the answer from Jesus, he defaulted to his own interpretation. You're right in saying, wait, you're not right. That's not what Jesus said. And how often do we do that? When I look at my life, I'm like, wow. I limit the full extent of God's love toward him and toward others because I hold to my own faith traditions. Now, I'm not saying we welcome all faith traditions. There's some that are doctrinally wrong in salvation. But there are a lot of faith traditions that we don't even know about that would benefit us so much in loving God and loving each other. And that's what I really appreciate about going to school and being exposed to so many other faith traditions and learning about spiritual disciplines. There's well over 100 different disciplines throughout 2,000 years of Christianity, and our church maybe knows about 15 of them. Some of them we used to practice and we don't anymore, and I think it's to our own detriment. One of the ones clearly was scripture memory. There used to be a time where we all had to learn memory scriptures every week. We had to have a, script, a, a point from every chapter in the book of Acts. When I first came into the class, first time we met our teacher, Andy Fleming was actually in the class with me and a brother from Houston and the rest of the students, and he comes in and he just starts quoting Psalm 23. We're like, oh, wow, he knows the whole psalm. That's good. And, I'm, and then I'm saying, I don't actually, I, I've heard of the psalm. I can maybe say a phrase of the psalm, but I don't actually know the whole psalm. Then he goes, okay, for the first 20 minutes of this class, I want you to rewrite the psalm in your own words. That was really cool, actually. And then we had to read them to each other. Well, it's amazing. Same psalm, but everyone's was different, and yet the same. It was really interesting. Then he goes, okay, by tomorrow, you have to memorize Psalm 23. We're like, oh, but man, we got all this reading and all this other stuff we got to do because this was an intensive class. But that was the assignment. So, man, we're all, like, cranking through that psalm the next night. And we come the next morning, we all have to quote it. Some of us made mistakes. Some of us didn't. Then he goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. Every hour on the hour, no matter whether we're in class or outside, because we're actually going to have a dinner after class with some of the professors and teachers, until you go to bed, every hour on the hour, set your watch, we're going to recite that psalm in our mind, and then one of us will speak it out loud. And he did that the whole day. We're even in the restaurant eating, and alarms go off. Everyone's alarm goes off. So we just all... In the restaurant, recite the psalm, and then one of us just spoke up in the entire restaurant and quoted that psalm. 
Guess what? By the third day, we all knew the psalm like that. And how helpful that is. Psalm 23 is a great psalm. Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And it goes on and on. It's a great psalm. How about you with memory scripture? The reality is, guys, you're going to face temptation. Do you have your Bible ready? You would if you had a memory scripture. Some other disciplines. What about meditation? The law actually says meditate on it day and night. Do we, do we stop our hectic, busy life and apply this idea of just meditating on God? Meditating on his word. How much better would our love for God and others be if we did that? Something to think about. Not, I'm going to be teaching all this stuff to you guys. I, don't, I want everything I've learned to go to you. So over the next few months, I'm going to start in just giving you some actual disciplines you can use that will help you. One of the coolest is a thing called breath prayers. What's a breath prayers? It's actually something our teacher did without teaching us, but then eventually we asked and he taught us is every time he, he went to his pocket to get his phone, he would actually say it, I serve God and God alone. And then he'd look at his phone. And he kept doing that for like several days. Every time he went to grab his phone, I serve God and God alone. And we're just like, what's he doing? He goes, it's, it's a breath prayer. It's called attaching a scripture or a prayer or even a word of a great song to any mundane motion of life as you breathe, breath prayer. And what he says it did is so often my phone can take over my focus but by me attaching that every time I go to the phone, I go, I serve God and God alone, it helps me to go, that's who I serve first. Don't let this become my Lord. Amen. Imagine if you did that for temptations, that you attach a scripture to every moment you know you're tempted. Man, that scripture could make you just destroy that temptation before it becomes sin. So he had us practice that as well. And so we, we each had to find some phrase from the Bible and just throughout the day, breath moments, use it. And I tell you guys, it's amazing. Mine was, I proclaim your love in the morning, I proclaim your faithfulness at night. It's from Psalm 71. Before you knew it, I was singing it. I proclaim your love in the morning, I proclaim your faithfulness at night. He's going to make everything, everything all, all right. Like, you know, you just get into it, man. It was like, and I just, I can carry that with me through the day. My attitude changes. I love God more in the moments. I love people more in the moments. So these are just some examples when we limit ourselves like this scribe did, we limit the love of God and the love for each other. So then Jesus responds back. Oh, and very important note there. The scribe said something pretty amazing. He said, these, what you just said, Jesus, is more important than all the sacrifice and offerings. He basically said, Jesus, my religion, temple worship, doesn't mean anything compared to what you just said. He's basically just saying, guys, your relationship with God and with others is more important than religion. That's basically what he just said. And here's the thing. Does it mean some of those other commands, said or unsaid, are not necessary? No, maybe they are. Maybe some we've got to tweak back toward God and not the wrong way. Some we need to add, maybe. Some we need to get rid of. They're still good in of themselves if they're focused on the right thing. But here's the thing. If we just love God and love others, we won't have to worry about all the other commands. He even says later, you fulfill all the commands, 613 of them, if you love God and love your neighbor. Here's how he closes. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, now pay attention. He, he stated an understanding wisely. You are not far from the kingdom of God. He did not say you are in the kingdom of God. Just understanding the most important command does not put you in the kingdom. 
obeying the command puts you in the kingdom. Because here's the reality, guys. We, we all have probably heard of the love languages, right? The five love languages. You guys, you guys know your love language? Okay, if you, if you don't, you can actually go online and they can tell you. And it can change over time. But we all have our love language. And see, you know if your love language is a certain way and your spouse or your interest doesn't love you that way, you don't feel the love, right? A lot of marriage fights are caused by that. <laughs> have you ever thought to ask yourself, what's God's love language? In other words, what makes him feel loved by you? Guess what? It's not your worship. You can sing with all your heart, Lord God, I love you. And you go, great, but I don't feel the love. You can give tithe every week. You can be generous. Great, but I don't feel the love unless you're doing it with the right heart. In other words, guys, God's love language, according to the letters of John, is this. This is how you know you love God. You obey his commands. God's love language is obedience. So if we're not obeying the most important commands, we cannot say that we truly love God or love each other. That's how important these things are for us. You want to be in the kingdom and not far from it? We have to obey. But then it goes on, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> the debate was over. He had won. And that's what Mark is showing in the narrative. It's like, Jesus is the answer. So I don't want to leave you hanging with just, okay, we got to obey those commands. I, I know, like you, I, I need practicals. What, what does that mean to really love God and love your neighbor? Well, look at which one of those four are you and which ones you have to grow in toward God and toward neighbors. But I think Paul gives us some amazing insight. Ephesians 3, last scripture, verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. It doesn't say, I pray that your attendance at your church congregation. It doesn't say that. It talks about love. May have power together, because being a Christian cannot be independent. It's an individual decision, but it's obeyed in community. That's how it works. He says, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Do you notice he listed four things? I think those match and correlate with Jesus' most important command about loving God with all your being. So here's my attempt. I'm not saying you might, you might compare them differently, but here's my attempt. When I think of wide, I think of arms outstretched. Jesus on the cross, and as the scriptures say, when he was lifted, he called all men and women to himself. It's acceptance. It's love. It's, it's this heart. I think loving God with all your heart is loving God wide. It's having that outstretched hand that includes all people, invites all people. When I think of long, I think of going the distance. Being a distance runner, I can appreciate that. It means being patient with someone. It means enduring with someone. I think that's strength. Strength is required to love God through trials. So I think those go together, wide and heart, long and strength. When I think of high, I think of the mind. I think that's where we have visions for ourselves and for others, where we have a view either high or low of each other. We don't realize, guys, how much of our theology is affected by this, how you view mankind. If you view man inherently as evil, then you're going to act accordingly in your love toward God and others through that, through that scheme. But if you have a high view of mankind, which God does, 
He made us in his image. He has a very high view of mankind. That you're going to love God and love others very differently. See, I think we don't have enough vision for each other. I think what happens is we'll sin against each other, and so we go, yes, these sinners are just inherently evil, so therefore our relationship is wrong, and this is wrong. And it, but if we had a high view, if she, she sinned against me, and I have a high view, I'm going to like, I know better than, than, than what I'm feeling right now from what she just did to me. Because I know her, and I know her vision and her love for God and for others, and, and our her past history has always been good. So something's happened here for me not to feel this. Sister, can we talk? That This affected me this way, and I know this isn't you. How different that goes because of your view of someone. We need to ask this question of each other more often, our mind. What's your vision? I actually had a great talk with Nikki here this morning before. It was, what's your vision? Like if, if money and context is not an issue, what do you want to do? It was so inspiring to hear what she shared. And I bet there's a lot of vision out here because we can love God with our mind. It's high. And then deep. That makes sense. Soul. That's where, that's, where it's, that's where true trust and true sincerity is shown. So, guys, I think we can learn to obey these commands by going wide with heart, by going long with strength, by going high with the mind and deep with the soul. Let's not just be close to the kingdom. Let's be in the kingdom. Let's love God with all our being, and let's love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you.